1: Welcome to the Tea with Bree. I'm your host, Bree. Thanks for listening. The Tea with Bree podcast is focused on deep, honest, and vulnerable conversation. Each week, I sit down with a different guest in order to have those conversations. Every week, we'll start with my guest's bio and intro into how we know each other, and then we'll go into a deep dive conversation about whatever topic they brought to me that week. This week, I'm joined by my guest, Caroline Cody. Caroline is a licensed OT practitioner, wife, and mother of two who is deep in the weeds of rearing. While she previously worked in the field of occupational therapy, inpatient adult care, she now is home doing much of some of the glamorous work, but with a three-year-old and a four-month-old. When she isn't changing diapers, she loves to write on the blog she's kept for the last 12 years, travel as often as possible, um, the Enneagram, oversharing and conversation, cooking, hosting people she loves, and volunteering. She serves on the leadership board at a local progressive church in Austin and is passionate about bridging the gaps between faith communities and nonprofits who are on the ground making an impact in the community. She and her husband are parents to Ezra, who they were fortunate enough to parent through adoption, and their four-month-old biological baby, Archie. They enjoy an open adoption with Ezra's biological family, and she regularly advocates for birth family rights and adoptive visibility within the adoption triad. Hello, friend. Hello, Brie. Uh, super excited that. of course also that bio was beautiful don't ever have imposter syndrome again
0: this was <laughs> this was
1: a great bio
0: <laughs> that imposter syndrome just sneaks right up doesn't
1: it, it it really does and I have to constantly talk myself and my other friends out of am like no you're doing great so <laughs> I give you lots of space to feel that but also tell you it's not real and it's deep you're in a lot so of like crap I was trying to think how we first met, and it has to be through Peachy. For sure. Has to be the Peachy. Although you do go to the same church as my friend, Matt, uh, Madison. So she was like, how do you know, Carol? And I was like, oh, that Peachy just connected us. So
0: I think it was Peachy, but we have like a lot of random connections
1: Mm -hmm. for sure. A lot.
0: (laughs) It's kind of funny. Like I know Virginia and Madison Um, so yeah, I don't know. I just feel like we are meant to know each other.
1: Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, so I would love to just jump on in. I recently have been talking to a lot of friends about adoption. Um, and I think it's a really beautiful thing to do. Um, I mean, I know you and Peachy have adopted, um, and I have been questioning if adoption will be the way in which I become a mom, just because a I don't know if I can have kids. Um, But then also be like, I'm a single gal, and I don't know <laughs> when that will change. Um, But I know I'd like to be a mom by the time I'm like 40, which is almost nine years from now. Anyway, um, so yeah, plenty I just of time. Uh, I'm sweating thinking about
0: it. It's like <laughs> in 10 years, <laughs> plenty of time. I mean, think about you at 20 and how different you are, and how much happens. Like that is a long time. You terrifying.
1: Got it. It's terrifying. <laughs> Um, but I mean, obviously I'm obsessed with your children. I think Ezra is my favorite
0: <laughs> person
1: on Instagram. He's even though he, special. He doesn't have his own Instagram, but he basically does. Um,
0: and he's <laughs> hilarious to me. He's the only reason anyone looks at my Instagram, so it's fine.
1: <laughs> I mean, him and then and Archie and that like sweet little face. I'm like, oh God. So, yeah. yeah um, they're
0: pretty great. They...
1: Ezra's just hilarious to me Like he's just such like so quick I just always find
0: it hilarious Um, such a big personality I mean I've never I'm just blown away every day Like how can you be Such a big personality At three Never known anyone like him
1: (laughs) Yeah I feel like it's like those people are like uh, You're an old soul like he's been here before I feel like Ezra has like been here before Like he's (laughs) that energy (laughs) at all (laughs) times For sure. What have, what have you seen? What have you gone through? Tell me, tell me everything. Um, so I would love to talk about your adoption journey, how y'all got to where you were with Ezra. Um, you said you adopted him through fostering. Am I making this up?
0: No, we did. Um, we went through the same agency uh, as Peachy. It's a uh. local agency that only does um, open, open, local adoption so they only work within the state of texas which was great because that kind of meant you know we were pursuing a open adoption relationship with the birth family so that meant they would be local so we'd be able to you know see them and have him have them be a part of his life regularly
1: open adoption i feel like it's such a hard but beautiful thing i (laughs) My friends and I used to talk about in high school, which I know is like so weird, but we always like said like, what if like, what would happen if you got pregnant right now? And so I come from a very religious family. So like, I never even thought that like not having the baby was a, was an option, but I always said like, if it would have happened, I think I would have done open adoption. So like to hear that it's a really beautiful thing and being able to watch how it is for you. And then also how it is for um, Peachy and Franklin, I think has been such a beautiful thing because I think that like familial connection of like family, while it is blood, it's also not blood. And I think a lot of, I think about that often with me, like having nannied for so long and um, having family that, you know, my very extended family, were like not even (laughs) related. It's just like, we've just been family friends that have now turned into family. So I think to be able to keep that line open is really, really beautiful.
0: And I think you and I are similar in that, you know, we don't have family in Austin. And I think that just, we just have a different perspective on what family is. And we kind of curate our own family here and we try to draw people in. And I think that also appealed to me with open adoption. I'm like, oh my gosh, like the more the merrier. I, I just crave that family feeling and just want my friends to all, you know, always be welcome. Our house is like a revolving door. Obviously not right now with COVID, but (laughs) I just, I, I love, having this like makeshift family in all forms I don't know so yeah it really appealed to us but we've had this funny like double adoption story unfold because my husband was adopted and which is why so he's adopted and his father was adopted and his grandfather was actually adopted as well um funny enough uh and it wasn't this intentional, like, oh, all the generations are going to do this, but it's, that's just how it shook out. And so we kind of have always thought, oh my gosh, it will be really cool if we could continue that. And, um, so that was the first way we pursued parenthood. Um, once we were kind of ready to enter that season, cause we just felt like, well, <laughs> uh, we're never gonna, you know, be this to do the paperwork and the meetings and the seminars and all of that. Because, I mean, if we try for biological kids, we just feel like we would never kind of have that much margin to Mm -hmm. be able to do the adoption journey. So we went ahead with adoption and just thinking like, oh, it'd be really amazing to share that with Josh and with his dad and his grandfather. But it's been funny because going through the process with, um, adopting Ezra back in 2016, um, starting that journey kind of led to Josh's exploring of his own adoption story Mm -hmm. and his was a closed adoption. So, um, we got to hear from all these birth mothers at one of the training seminars and that kind of got his brain going about, Oh my gosh, there's this probably a woman out there who, birthed me and she might be wondering about me you know I don't think he had even really thought much about it yeah so um he kind of started his own journey at that same time of okay like maybe I should get in touch with her and let her know I'm okay like because <laughs> these birth mothers were sharing at these seminars about how cl- like one one um participated in a closed adoption back in the 80s and she's sharing about how every day she wondered, you know, is my child alive? Is my child the Oklahoma City bomber? Is my, you know, where are they and are they okay? And so Josh really felt this deep need all of a sudden to assure his birth mother that he was okay. And so that led to him going down this process of eventually being reunited with his birth mother and like right before Ezra was born it kind of all happened and then just, funny enough just in the last month through 23 and me he got connected with his birth father for the first time and found out who he is and um and so it's been really crazy just you know navigating that and navigating Ezra's story and having this big funny family where we have half brothers and sisters from birth dad and then we have Ezra's birth mom and dad and their kids and some half brothers and sisters and this is big and amazing unique messy family situation going on and we just kind of love it
1: <laughs> yeah uh. And then when you were texting me that uh, Josh found out who his dad was, and that that also meant that he had siblings, and I was like, oh my gosh, like what? Do, like what a wild thing to learn. Like as your life is sort of like quote settled down and like you're fo- like fully into adulthood, like oh by the way, like you have siblings. I'm like, I I think about that often. I always used to joke with my parents, like, are you sure I'm your kid? Just because I'm very different, but also very similar to both of my parents. And I also think, like, what if I'm adopted and they just never told me? And so, like, I've always thought about that too. I'm like, what if there's like ever twin somewhere in the world? And I was like, this is obviously not true, but I just always think about that, like the the what ifs of it all. But I think it's also beautiful of having talked to you and Peachy, you know, doing open adoption, um, you doing interracial open adoption, and having your children still connected to their birth family and how important that is. I mean, I talked to peachy fairly often. And so when they used to live here and how often like Franklin to get to see his siblings and like that, that like beautiful bond of it too. And I think like you're saying like family is blood, but it's also not blood. So even all of y'all to be connected to is just such a beautiful thing to witness. And yeah, I just, I, I think seeing the two of you navigate adoption and what it could look like has been like, the reassurance i need of like if that's where my life ends up going but yeah
0: i yeah. really hope it is because i just feel like you would be such an incredible mom and i josh and i both having gone through this um we've kind of developed this passion for <laughs> wanting to see more families of color in that adoption space just because i think well, for me, just to be very vulnerable, I think it, it haunted me Ezra's first year of life that in the profiles that Ezra's birth mom and dad were presented with as options, there were no Black families <laughs> in those options. And, you know, if you ask her, she's so amazing. And she just is so like, this was meant to be, and we were always meant to be in each other's lives. And she's so wonderful. And we both just really do feel like this was just fate. And, you know, I, and she's just so great. But, um, but yeah, just knowing <laughs> there's just a deep sense of sadness I have for her not having the option to have a black family raise her son. Um, Not that she's ever made me feel like that, but yeah, I just, it's just a shame. Um, And I know that that's a lot of systemic racism stuff going on and a lot of like disenfranchisement and you have to have tons of money to be able to adopt. And um, so Josh and I have just really been wondering in the last few years, like, okay, how can we be a participant in enabling more Black families to adopt if they choose or want to, but maybe don't have the means to. So yeah, I mean, girl, (laughs) I want this (laughs) for you. And I want this for whatever, you know, birth families out there, you know, hoping their child can be connected in that way to their culture.
1: Yeah, that's probably my biggest concern. Because if I think right now where I am like, I know you can't like plan to get married or not, but where I currently am, I'm single, right? And so like my plan is like in 10 years, I want to adopt a baby, but I know that's like a lot of money, a lot of, you know, you have to like check off certain boxes to even qualify to adopt a child. And yeah, I mean, I, I feel like you're saying it's very systematic that there, you know, Black families adopting don't, it doesn't happen really often. And um, I think it's super important to to talk about it. And like you're saying, like, what can, you slash other adoptees do to kind of dismantle the system and make it more accessible. Um, But I also really appreciate with, you know, this adoption agency that you're working through and um, a lot of ones that are stateside is, I, this might offend some people, I feel like people who go outside of our country to adopt, I don't understand it because there are so many families here that need adoption and I was just re-listening to an episode I did with my friend um AJ who um is a, a fostering to adopt right now um and they I were talking to
0: her episode I loved yeah. it yeah it was <laughs> great conversation
1: she's the best she makes me cry every time we talk um <laughs> but but that conversation of like of, of just how it I don't even know like there's just so much that to unpack there right of um the the amount of access and resources they give to help people adopt versus helping people keep their children who want to keep their children right like there's all these things too as we look into adoption and you know I I, like I said I think it's a beautiful thing but having talked to her about it too and her saying like I would love the option of helping these kids stay with families if they could but there just Mm -hmm. isn't that option so I don't know I have a I have a a lot of, of feelings of I I do want to be a mom in the worst way possible, but I also don't know what becoming a mom will look like for me.
0: Yeah. And there's I mean, there's so much so many ethical problems in the adoption world, um, that I feel like I'm just starting to scratch the surface of. Mm-hmm. And honestly, you know, it's taken it's taken a lot of listening to adoptees and their pain and wounds and trying to like centered that voice in my life. And it's really uncomfortable because, uh, you know, no one wants to be faced with the reality that, you know, my decision to adopt, I mean, adoptees are four times more likely to commit suicide than non-adoptees. And, you know, a lot of adoptees are deeply uncomfortable with adoption and even anti-adoption, especially transracial Um, but a lot of the international adoptees that I've kind of listened to over the last several years have kind of helped educate me on just how much ethical bullshit (laughs) is in international adoption. I mean, it is, it's bananas and just, um, I don't know, racism. And I just would be so nervous to enter into that. I would just be terrified at this point. Yeah. And like, how do you vet them? You know, they're across the the world. Like, how do you even know if the agency you're working with is doing shady stuff? And even here, I mean, gosh, adoption agencies, they're such a fine line, you know, because they, it's a business and they rely on the presence of mothers who want to place children for adoption. I always felt really reassured that, the counseling they got from our agency. And actually, at the time, um, it was a transracial adoptee who was offering those services, which Mm -hmm. I was so thankful for, because she was very much like, you know, centering their experience and giving them options and making sure for everyone's sake that this was going to be the decision that they were going to be happy with at the end of the day. But I don't know, it is. So tough. I mean, every agency is walking such a fine line in the ethics world. (laughs) Uh, It's so hard.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And that is that is okay. I feel like there's like you're saying, there's there's stuff that can be done, but then also like how do you dismantle this whole sort of system and situation? Um, I also would be interested in knowing, like, with you and Josh being white adopting a black child and how that's been for y'all and you know y'all just had Archie too who is again the huge baby I can't deal um <laughs> um but seeing and and being able to see Ezra with Archie and him just being this is my brother like there's no like hesitation he I, you can obviously see that see that um Ezra feels y'all's love and feels super like in your family um but I know that's often a question that a lot of like like you're saying um transracial is it called mm-hmm. adoption goes to of Um, how are we going to raise this child having never had their experiences and moving through Mm -hmm. the world?
0: Yeah, it was a super hard decision to (laughs) pursue having biological children. It ultimately was like, well, we want to grow our family. We don't have the money to adopt again unless through foster care. And it felt really hard to enter into fostering because Ezra's already had a lot of loss in his life. And honestly, you know, the adoption wound, I think, and I see this with him and Josh, there's this idea called the primal wound. And it's you know, even if you're placed for adoption at birth, it like lives in your body, that, that loss of mother. Um, and there's all kinds of amazing research about like what children, newborn babies even experience with that. But, you know, having, the losses that he's had in his life, it really terrifies me to do fostering, honestly, just because there is a lot of, you know, here's a child, and then, oh, they got to, you know, go back to their own families, and I'm just afraid of that for him, um, so if we if we do adopt again, which I would love to, if we can ever afford it, um, I, I would love to do it how we did last time, where there's just not a lot of chance of... <laughs> the child being you know placed back with another home just for Ezra's sake so Archie and him they're so beautiful together and it's been interesting every year I feel like there's another kind of challenge right so right now Ezra's about to turn four and he's just kind of starting to process his own experience a lot more I feel like his world is opening up and it's beautiful and sweet and also really hard um because he's asking a lot more hard questions i mean hard for him you know not i don't want to like say it's hard for us it's hard for him um and you know he's also processing being a brother and having a brother that doesn't look like him and you know he'll say like i want i want more babies but i want babies with brown skin and i just see like his questions in his eyes now, and I see all kinds of wheels turning, and um, it's really, it's, it's really painful <laughs> to watch, but we recently um, moved from central Austin up to, like, north Austin, and a neighborhood that's more diverse and has, like, much more representation at the elementary schools, and I just think <laughs> we're just, trying so hard to be purposeful especially and you know in Austin I know you and AJ talked about this how Austin is just a tough place to raise children of color and we've been so grateful so grateful for the black friends in our life who have come around him um I feel very undeserving of this but yeah we we just had to get real real vulnerable with our black friends in the very beginning and just say you know (laughs) We have this child and we cannot give him all that he needs. We're in a unique situation. Most parents, you know, they're like, oh, I, I have everything I need to give this child, but we don't, <laughs> we're white. We do not have everything that he needs. Um, he needs people who look like him. He needs to be connected with his birth culture. He needs his birth family. Like he needs friends. He needs little friends to play with who are black. So anyway, we had to get pretty real with people right away and be like, listen, we needed you in our life before, but we really need you <laughs> now. And he needs you. And if this is like a lot to put on you, I'm so sorry. Like, you know, you do not have to play this role in his life, but we would appreciate it and he needs you. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's just interesting navigating those needs that he has. And then now having Archie and just how different it is. It just like, I love them both. To the ends of the world. But uh, the, yeah, the experiences have just been so different. I think the beginning of Ezra's life, I had a lot of angst and this deep sense of like, what did I just do? I just, did I just ruin his life? Like, what in the world? I don't, I don't know. Like, I, it felt very daunting and hard um to be fa- um, faced with the reality that I'm never gonna be enough for him. But now mm. it's kind of amazing because. And like, we get this opportunity to cultivate this world around him and this environment. And we want to rise to that challenge. And it's just different and beautiful. Yeah. I hope we can do right by him. I mean, I wonder every day if we can, but we try. Thank <laughs> he you. He sure. the world. Yeah.
1: Oh, I agree. Also, Ezra is just, again, my favorite. Um, yeah. I would love to kind of transition into talking about religion and raising children, um, while also navigating your own, um, religious beliefs. Mm. Um, <laughs> I know we're just going to jump into it. Um, <laughs> but like you said, you are uh, involved in this very progressive church here in town and I've been not questioning, but also not feeling super connected to organized religion in the last four years. Um, and I think it's from coming from a very, Religious family. My godfather's a pastor, which I, I've talked about plenty of times. Um, but he, one is one of the smartest people, if not the smartest person I know and talk to often. But then also like he raised us, and by us, I mean me and his four kids, um, to 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 be very religious, but then also like allowed us to have questions about religion and being like, God can, hand, can handle your questions. There's no bad questions. Um, but then also like if you find a different faith that fits you better, that's also fine. But moving to Texas, which is below the Bible belt and being in a in a place where I typically don't see myself too often. And after having 45 as president for four years, I felt a lot of, I don't know if, it, if trauma is the right word, but also like a lot of like a sense of loss of like I was going to this really great church that I loved um, that has like three chapters, if you will. Like we have North Central, we have North Central and South Austin. And at the time I was living south and going to the south sort of branch um, or central if I felt like driving. Um, but the north, I never went up north. And then I found out that like, while our the central and south one were really progressive and super open, um, there's some things that came out about like the north pass that he was like not as progressive and like really didn't support LGBTQA folks. And we had a lot of folks like that who were at the south and central um, locations. And so for me as a black queer person, Living in Texas, has talked to her godfather, who was a pastor, who's like, God will not hate you because you're in this community. But to hear another pastor and having pastors in my family who also feel the same way of religion can't be for you because you are in this community, it's been super hard to like navigate where I fit in in religion because I was really raised like religion is about relationship with God or Jesus or whoever you believe in. So like that's one relationship. And then that relationship kind of trickles down into having kind of communal relationship with people who also believe the same as you. And so while I think a lot of people think like you have to be in church, like feel that experience, I don't. Like I would rather watch this one pastor who I love out of North Carolina, his YouTube and like worship that way than to go sit in a church and just be like awkward and fearful. Um, So as I get older and I think about you know, if, and when I start having kids, am I going to raise them to be religious because my religion and my faith have been so important to me, but I feel like there's now it's kind of like my religion is being kept away from me because I identify as a person in this community. So all that Mm -hmm. to be said is how, how are you bringing religion into your kid's life? How have you been navigating that? What does that feel like for you?
0: Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. That's, <laughs> such a hard, deeply personal journey. Um, yeah. I mean, what's interesting about parenting while navigating your own faith is just that I feel like I'm on my own journey, and that's the challenge is like me and Josh's faith are evolving every day, and it's hard to bring a child alongside that cuz they want concrete answers you know they're in this developmental stage where things have to be black and white and then you start introducing nuance Mm -hmm. and all we have right now in our faith right now is nuance and no answers (laughs) and like we feel very um we feel very free I should say just me I mean I can't speak for Josh I feel very free in this season of my faith um I feel like my church has been really healing in, in the lack of answers. And that's kind of where I'm at right now is like, it's an exploration. It's this um, beautiful, free, uh, just journey and it feels light. Um, And so that's kind of what I want to bring my kids along into is this, uh, you know, I don't have to have black and white answers for them. I mean, you know, Ezra will ask me, where is god and um did god i don't know he asks me lots of questions about god and and i like to wonder with him instead of feeding him answers because yeah. that's kind of where i'm at in my faith and i i kind of approach my faith now as i wonder i like, <laughs> I wonder about that um and i think god can handle that curiosity and that lack of certainty um, and so, yeah, just wondering with Ezra and trying to just instill a sense of, of just belonging and love and all-encompassing compassion and, and grace. I don't know. You know, not everything belongs. That's what I want him mm-hmm. to take away is everything belongs and everyone belongs. And I think if he can start his faith journey from that place, that he'll be much healthier than I was because <laughs> yeah. I've had to heal from a lot of those wounds of, you know, what it meant to be a woman in the church, um, what it meant to have gay friends in the church, what it meant to, you know, be sinning and hiding and shameful and all of those things. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'm asking myself that question, what it means to be, be raising children in the faith and I think my church does a wonderful job we have a curriculum so to speak of it's called godly play (laughs) and that's exactly what it is it's godly play (laughs) and it's play based and wondering and they they wonder together and it's just really beautiful because it it doesn't if a child asks a question they don't have to answer it because who has all the answers (laughs) my gosh nobody No. no Nobody, if somebody says they are, you know, it's like gaslighting. It's like, hey, there are people arguing over these theological questions every day. Don't tell me that the Bible is clear about this, because mm-hmm. it is not, you know.
1: Yeah, it's been interesting. So my, my Godson, he just turned 12. But when he was little, we used to talk about it all the time, and he would have so many questions, because I mean, we were in church every Sunday. And so, like you're saying, like that wonder, like we just would sit and ask questions, like, "Well, does God see when I do bad things?" And I'd be like, "Yes." Will that stop you from doing <laughs> bad things? If you know the answers, yes. Um, but now, like to for him to be 12 and still like like he's just to watch him grow into like who he is as a human, but also like as a faith based person, um, is super interesting. And I and I think for me, like living here and being 1,800 miles away, but like still being able to like see from far away and when i visit of like how him being raised that way has like not put bumpers on his life but like kind of made him think twice before doing things and Mm -hmm. it's just been like a lot of. i think for me too is like how my faith guides everything i do like um i mentioned on the show before like i was raised very religious um and for me, it's always been like that religion is always about like paying it forward and knowing that your life could be completely different. And in the blink of an eye, which I think COVID has really Mm -hmm. taught all of us this last year, but to, to have my faith really guide all of my choices and things that I do and in trying to be a quote, good person, because like, this is the faith that was raised. And I think it's it's always interesting to see how lives are different. Like if you were raised super religious, um, if you weren't it was raised with religion, but then if you also find religion later in life. Yeah. yeah, so I just I think about that often too of like what do how do I <laughs> yeah, just I, I think still like I, I want I I wonder a lot too of like, if I do good or bad things, does this mean I'm a good or bad person? And I think for me, a lot of folks who our religious leaders who used to teach like very old Testament isn't my jam. Like, I don't believe mm-hmm. that God is this like angry person who's always going to punish us. I think of mm-hmm. the Jesus part of, of like being super open and welcoming and patient and giving. And yeah, mm-hmm. I think it's, it's that, you know, if, if, if people can pick to be hateful with their religion, which I think we see a lot of the time, like people using religion as a weapon Um, versus using religion as a way to bring us together um, has always been a way of like me kind of separating where I feel
0: about religion. Yeah. And, you know, what was a big shift for me early on in my marriage, we got, Josh and I got married super young. We were just 20 and 21 because that's how we do in Georgia, you know,
1: babies.
0: Um, (laughs) (laughs) but soon after that, um, it was really interesting because you're talking about, good people, bad people. I mean, my ideas of what that meant got really rocked because someone who I like admired more than anyone in the entire world was this male um, role model for me, who was the, uh, he was the director of a camp that I worked at. And soon after Josh and I got married, um, it came out that he was a child molester. And he is now in jail for the rest of his life. Um, And so, you know, and then at that same time we had moved to Portland and I was working at a credit union and I was actually in the minority in that I was one of the only straight people that worked at this credit union. And I started having these friendships with all these queer people. And I just, I was so confused. I said, like, how can these people be the good people the best people that I've ever known (laughs) and this other man who I used to idolize who was on this faith pedestal for me be have, you know, Mm had all this power and was abusing it and abusing children. Um, And I think it's just snowballed from there. You know, I, (laughs) I have just really come to see power and goodness and innate like, people do not need religion to be good people. I firmly believe that. And in some cases, religion kind of makes them worse people. <laughs> um, I can give people excuses to exclude and to abuse. So, I don't know. I That kind of rocked my world. That really started my faith unraveling and then having to rebuild it again. But, yeah, I mean, it's just so funny. I think back on that season in Portland and just how... Like, I felt so, like, scandalous coming from Georgia and having all these gay friends. (laughs) And they were so skeptical of me because they're like, oh, she's judging me. And, like, how that just rocked my worldview because they just were the most loving people to me. And I'd never experienced that kind of love. And I grew up in the church. I grew up in deep in the church. Yeah. So, Yeah, my so my best
1: friend who I've known since I was 12, he's been on the show twice now, um, but we always used to joke because I'd go to church during the day Sunday and then at night was karaoke at this gay bar that I loved. And so all my friends were like, you went to church this morning and I hang out with the gays at karaoke. I'm like, yeah, I don't see like a problem. But for them to see <laughs> this religious person like and this was before I came out, but this religious person just coming and loving and being with these people. I was like, I don't, that we're not friends because you're gay, right? Like there's just so much more to you, but also your gayness isn't what's going to keep us from being friends. And my religion isn't going to keep us from being friends. So I, I feel you. Cause my aunt used to be like, how, she goes, just the way you navigate the world. I'm like, honestly, if you think about it, like, what would Jesus do? I'm like, I think Jesus would be at gay karaoke. I think Jesus would be a social worker. Like, the way in which I I see religion is like, it doesn't have to stop at just people who believe the same things as you or or are on the same like life path as you. Um, so yeah, I mean, I I feel that sort of like scandalizing too. I'm like, oh my gosh, like everyone was. It was more them coming like. I just don't understand like how someone so religious loves us when the world has taught us for so long that you mm-hmm. can't be loved by religious people for being this way. So.
0: Well, you're much farther along than I was at the time because <laughs> I think I would approach those relationships. I was like, oh my gosh, look how good I am. I'm loving the people that. And then it turned out that we were the ones that were really doing the emotional labor of allowing me to see how unloving <laughs> that I was and how unloving my attitude was towards people who believed differently than me or who had, you know identified differently um so I'm so grateful I'm so grateful for all the people that have come alongside me throughout you know the last 20 years and just showed me how small-minded I was (laughs) so yeah
1: yeah it's also the beauty in moving too right like I think your mind just opens so much more when you like get out of your comfort zone and for me like Texas was my first big move when I was 26. And that's when it came out. But even like before then, I like was raised in one town and just kept moving towns in Connecticut. And even that just like being in a different town was interesting. But that was like moving here and then traveling and just seeing the world outside of the bubble that you're in was just mind blowing for me. And I think that changes the lives of a lot of people like just being just being open minded and inquisitive and wondering and questioning and just yeah being able to to change your surroundings right
0: yeah it really changes you I really believe that I'm such a huge advocate for moving away (laughs) from the town you're raised in just you know not because there's anything wrong with the town just goodness like the things that I've learned and the people I've been able to meet oh my gosh I never I just wouldn't be the person I am and I'm so grateful and I'm sure you feel the same way it's just it's so important
1: yeah grateful just grateful
0: so grateful well including you I'm glad to know you gosh I never would have crossed paths with you
1: I know what a life I think that's also like the beautiful thing is like living in Austin is like you're literally like three degrees of from everybody and so um I thank you so much for coming on today um as you know I like to end every show by asking my guest a final question a sort of palate cleanser and the question is a two-parter and the question is what is the best advice you were ever given or what is a piece of advice you would give to your younger self
0: oh such a good question <laughs> i gosh i was in such a bad place in my like teens and 20s um there's so much i want to tell that girl uh, but I think I would start with just like, I think I wasted a lot of my young adulthood thinking I just like, wasn't cut out for anything because things were hard. <laughs> so I like dropped out of college cause I was like, oh, this feels hard. And I wasn't, I wasn't even trying that hard, but it just was hard. So I was like, okay, I just, I'm not meant to do college, I guess. And then I got married at 20 cause so I just felt like I needed a purpose in life and that just felt like what everyone kind of expected me to do I didn't have anything else going on other than this like long-term boyfriend and then I never really put myself out there in a career until my like late 20s I thought I was like really failing so I wish I could go back and tell myself that Glennon Doyle always says like life is supposed to be hard it's life is hard not because you're doing it wrong because it's just hard Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I think I want to tell myself that cuz I think that I would have figured out a lot more if I had just tried harder and just pushed through that hard feeling the hard, the feelings of just like oh this is hard. Um I wasn't very resilient in that. And I think I'd tell myself that like I need to believe in myself and as a woman growing up in the deep south, I think the messages I received were that you know, I need to just make myself small and, um, and and not challenge anything and not believe too hard in myself, because that might be threatening to men kind of. So, um, you know, I think believing in ourselves is an act of resistance and courage. And I know that now. <laughs> but I wish I'd figured it out when I was like, 19. That would have been great. So I'd, I would tell her that. The best advice I've ever gotten, oh my gosh, <laughs> I think just boundaries is the best advice. Like like someone told me once to read the book Boundaries, and I think that was the best advice I've ever gotten. I'm an Enneagram too, and so boundaries are really hard for me, um, and I think just the advice that boundaries are a kindness that you can offer to people, just clarity and what you will tolerate and what you will not. I think that would have saved me a lot of heartbreak. Um, and it and it has over the years once I finally got it into my brain <laughs> that boundaries are important. <laughs> so, yeah, boundaries are the best best advice ever.
1: That's it for this week's episode of the Tea with Bree. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at the tea with bree. Visit the website at the tea with breepodcast.com and send me an email at the tea with at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or get your podcast. A special thanks to Mama Duke for our theme music, and I will talk to y'all next week. Bye.